Hello and welcome to On Mike. I'm Jordan Rich. A special guest today, known internationally for his role as conductor of the famed Boston Pops Orchestra. 2015 marked his 20th season leading the orchestra. He took over for John Williams in 1995. Yes, that John Williams. And currently, Keith Lockhart is the second longest tenured conductor in Boston Pops history. His workload's incredible, having conducted nearly 2,000 Pops programs. He's produced and appeared on several high-grossing CDs. He's taken the Pops on tour around the globe. Couple that with his musical endeavors as a soloist and conductor with other orchestras. Well, he's one busy guy. He also has a beautiful family with younger kids whom he adores spending time with. So I journeyed to Historic Symphony Hall for a sit-down with Keith Lockhart shortly before the opening of the 2019 season, May 8th. And if you want to know more about that, go to bostonpops.org. My first question for Keith, and it sure looks this way, are you still having a great time conducting? I'm having even more fun now, I think, Jordan. You know, it's it's funny with the passage of time. I think you begin to appreciate what you do and not see it as, you know, uh, something more that you have to get done, but uh, but see it more as a, as a, as a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, this season is shaping up to be a really great one with some wonderful artists on stage. And uh, I can't wait to do it. Did you have a hint in your early career that you'd wind up leading an orchestra as opposed to performing on stage? Uh, was, was conducting something that was always in the forefront? It wasn't always in the forefront. In fact, when I started my um, college years, I didn't even know I was going to go into music. Uh, I had been a musician for years and years before that, and pretty much my whole life had been centered around it. But I didn't think real people did that for a living, so I was going to take my LSATs and go to law school. Uh, you see how well that worked out. Attorney Lockhart. And I'll tell you. Well, I married one instead. You ah, know, it's the so. next best thing. Um, and the... Uh, and the turnaround was when I was almost finished with my undergraduate work. I was actually talking to my piano professor, and he, I think, was nicely saying something that I already knew, of course, which was that I was a good pianist, and the ground is littered with good pianists. <laughs> and I really wanted to perform. And he said, did you ever think about conducting? And I had messed around with conducting in high school and with college ensembles and things. But again, it's just never something I, I didn't really have a role model there. I didn't say, well, I could be a conductor like this person. And um, so it was really from about the time I was 20 on, I mm. spent some time in a prestigious summer program and uh, somehow managed to get into it with very little experience and said, you know, I, I think I could do this. Uh, it's that's it's the point at which your football coach tells you, you're not going to make the NFL, but you know a lot about this game and you know how to put it together. And uh, maybe you should consider a coaching career. I've always wondered, and I've watched you forever, and it's, it's a pleasure and a joy to watch you up there doing what you're doing. Musicianship, one thing. Obviously, you have to have that. But what are the qualities that that make you who you are as a conductor, as a as a leader of these wonderfully talented musicians? Well, I think the the qualities that make any conductor useful or good um, have to do with uh, number one, uh, a uh, capacity for communication. Uh, conductor is the the intercessor, the intermediary, the go-between between many different constituents, between individual musicians on the stage, between one group of musicians like the first violins and the basses, uh, between the orchestra and the audience, mm. and between the composer and the musicians. It's not that the other 80 people on stage don't have very good ideas about what they think the composer wanted, at least as it pertains to their part. Right. But with a large ensemble, you need an overall, we're going to do it this way 
sort of thing. I often liken it again in the sports analogy to um, having a, a lot of amazingly talented players running around a field with no coach calling the place. Mm. Then you've just you you basically have chaos. Somebody needs to say, well, I know you're good at this, and I'm going to let you, you know, I'm going to let you have your own lead here and do this. But ultimately, you got to pull it together into something that makes a coherent. Like whole. everyone else, you've had to keep up with the technology of the times, and the Boston Pops has been a leader in terms of mixing media and using music, live orchestral music, to back up showing of Star Wars on the big screen. That's a skill set that I guess you've had to sort of learn as the technology has come about. Really, that's something that I that they didn't teach you in conductor <laughs> they camp. They don't teach you that. Uh, and uh, it is something that really has come onto the scene really just in the last decade mm. and that I had very little experience with prior to that. Some, but, but not very much. And it just adds another layer of complexity. It adds another layer of time pressure. Uh, because it's much easier for us to just worry about keeping together with ourselves as opposed to something that is external and completely inflexible, having to uh, having to work with that. So part of it is time management. Uh, mm-hmm. It's being able to keep things straight in your head, being able to prioritize, just I think like any management job, what's most important, what can we get done in this period of time, what can you just let go, what can you leave up to individual players' discretion to make better? I'll tell you one thing. I appreciate film music. I've always been a fan and a huge fan of your colleague and our laureate, uh, John Williams. I've heard of him. Yes. But, but when one sees how the orchestra meshes with the film on screen, and I saw West Side Story, I've seen a bunch that the BSO and the Pops have done. It's remarkable. It, you really understand as an audience member the the impact that real, beautiful orchestral music can have. It is uh, extraordinary and, and wonderful to be in the reflected glory of someone whose music means so much to millions of people, I mean, on six continents. Right. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's been, of course, just amazing to work with him all these years and to know him somewhat. Uh, and on top of that, it's just, you know, I've, it's wonderful to go around the country, as we have been this season with the Pops, telling the story of John Williams, mm-hmm. somebody who came, went from being another guy working in the Hollywood studios to probably the best-known living composer. Johnny Williams, as he's listed on several credits in the early days. I wouldn't mention that to him. No, I'm only mentioning it. Don't (laughs) tell him I said that. There's another question about your tenure and how things have gone. There have been a lot of innovations, and you've brought a lot of new music, refreshing the sound and also experimenting a little bit. How much effort is there in planning the season and thinking about that? Well, I think, you know, for, for me, music is the reason we're here. And at the end of the day, that, of course, changes with the pops as always and tries to be a little bit in tune with the music of our time. But basically, it's part of a larger tradition. And like one of the great things about traditions is they don't shift as rapidly as life seems to shift these days. But what has changed is presentation, is uh, our outlets, uh, the way that we get musical product to mm. people. These these ideas of live streaming and podcasts and all these things were not even things, there weren't even vocabulary words when I came into this job. 24 years ago right. and now people get so much of their entertainment uh, you know out of the cloud if you will yes. uh, and uh, we have been forced to adjust to that and we try to use bits of that technology uh, like a couple of years ago when we did a live audience choice polling uh, thing via via the internet um, without being getting lost in it because I think so many people spend so much time uh, looking at the 
the the manner with which they receive information or the manner with which they you know adjust the thermostat in their house that they uh, start losing track of the content and we're all right. about the content at the end yeah. of the day and that content remains great music and the content also is reflected by the guests and the people you work with and I'll just throw out a name Seth MacFarlane if you work with more than once uh, and he is so amazingly brilliant in so many areas and people may not know although they should if they're listening to this that he's a brilliant singer with with a great appreciation for the American songbook but I mean that's the kind of guy that's got social and and pop culture references written all over him and then he comes to the pops and it's Wow, what a what a great combination. It's a very interesting <laughs> passion of his and like you said a lot of people don't know that. They think of him as a funny guy or somebody who's very very current, very on the kind of yes. cutting pulse of uh, of uh, society and and ways to uh, skewer uh, our, our current life a little bit, but he has a true passion for the Great American Songbook, for the music, uh, the the Great Nelson Riddle orchestrations, and the music that was written for Sinatra and for Dean Martin, for Sammy Davis, and he actually uh, put his money where his passion is, and he actually owns a whole lot of the libraries of those Great American singers. And the thing is, he is spot on. I mean, you, you'd know, of course, from the, the voicings he does for uh, for his his cartoons and those sorts of things that he is an excellent mimic but he's mm. more than a mimic here he really inhabits the space uh that some of those great uh, american vocalists of the 50s 60s have, have you been a fan of orville have you watched it i haven't seen it oh gotta see it i've got little kids i, I don't know, know much but time. you know dvr or whatever they call <laughs> it these days just a few more things because i know there's no busier man in show business than keith lockhart and that brings me to the question, when you're not on stage in the tuxedo doing what you're doing, what's your day like? What's your average day like? Well, the great thing about my job and the thing that I think that keeps it fresh and has for, you know, what is now kind of a 35-year-long career in this, and 24 of them here, uh, is that there's hardly ever an average day. They are all different. There is none of that routine that most people, uh, you know, get into and a, a lot of people find kind of crushing after mm. a while. The great thing is there's hardly a day that I wake up and say I'm going to do the exact same things at the or even go to the same place at the same time. And that does keep it fresh. I'd say, I mean, look, I, I have this wonderful opportunity now to have a really exciting career and also to have some of the things that I, I missed for the first two thirds of it. And I have, you know, a seven and a nine year old at home and uh, they very appropriately uh, take up a large amount of the time that I'm here that I'm not doing anything else. And I wouldn't have it any other way. It's great. And finally, you mentioned tradition and we're not going to launch into our version of uh, Fiddler on the Roof here, but tradition. <laughs> you mentioned it. And What's really cool uh, from my perspective as a fan and as somebody who's worked with the Pops is to see year after year the place is packed with families, young kids, as well as older folks. When you look out, 24 years have gone by on the stage. When you look out, are you uh, heartened to see the audience as it's enjoying live music, orchestral music? I am. I think that uh, one of the the things that we see at the Pops is the renewal and the fact that these traditions retain value over the years. Uh, it's uh, as, as somebody who's, whose life is pretty much centered around music and classical music and something that people think of as being something that is 
possibly a little too traditional. Um, I think that it's absolutely wonderful that this it's that once you know night after night it proves again that these traditions like the whole tradition of, of Western art music whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it but also the tradition of the Boston Pops has value for the next generation and now having been here almost a quarter of a century I get this wonderful situation where I get to watch people uh, people meet me backstage bring their kids holiday pops or something like that and they say that uh, that they met me backstage, you know, 22 years ago <laughs> and shook my hand and they were 10 and now they've got a family of four. And I'm like, well, and you that's, don't age. You're that, uh, well, that's, I have an ugly picture in my attic. <laughs> uh, but no, it, I mean, it's it's a little sobering in terms of, of my own mortality, I suppose. But uh, in terms of seeing that there is continuity mm. to what we do, there's value that lasts. And uh, I think these days our world needs more things that have value that last. You can't think of a better steward to keep this going as beautifully as it has been the tradition. Keith Larkart, thank you and good luck on the new season. Thanks Jordan, always a pleasure. This is Jordan thanking you for listening to On Mike with Jordan Rich, available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course Android. Appreciate you subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you get a chance. On Mike is produced at Chark Productions in Boston. Until next time, Be well so you can do good.